Hello, and welcome to the Mill Creek View CEO Special with me, your host, Steve Abramowitz, where I interview the best business people and entrepreneurs. Hello, and welcome back to the Mill Creek View CEO Special. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz. We are focusing on small businesses that put their customers over ideology and making a positive impact in our community. This time, special guest, Marcus Pittman, CEO, Lure.tv. But first, for more information about the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast, visit us anywhere you get your podcasts and socials at Mill Creek View Tennessee. And while you're there, please subscribe. Welcome to our CEO special, where I interview people who are making an impact and are doing good business. Today, we are talking to Marcus Pittman, CEO, Lure.tv. Hi, Marcus. How are you today? Hey, Steve. How are you? Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. Thanks for coming on here. Uh, Tell us how you got interested in the storytelling and entertainment business. Oh, man. I was uh, doing... uh... I actually got into video production because I was a Bible camp counselor. I was a summer camp counselor at a Bible camp. Nice. And one year the camp director was like, can you just film the students for me? And, uh, and, and, and I did. And that's how I started filming. I got a job at a government school station and then got into Christian film and media and stuff like that. And then kind of been there ever since. Awesome. Uh, animation, you say, is going to be a large part of Lure, and we are excited to have one of the original GOATs partnering with us to make Lure an iconic animation platform. Uh, Chris Savino has officially joined Lure's advisory board. Yes. Yep. Chris is the producer and director of your entire of our entire childhood. He was the producer and director of Powderpuff Girls and Dexter's Laboratory. He was the creator and showrunner of Loud House for Nickelodeon. He's working on everything from the original Ren and Stimpy, Rocco's Modern Life, The Angry Beavers, and Foster's Home for Imaginary Friends, Christian Cartoonist Writers, Scaredy Cat Productions, and Good Fruit Christian Content. Tell us all about you and Chris's relationship. Yeah, so we met Chris. He pitched a show to us. Uh, on uh, He pitched a show to us that he wanted to do, and we loved it a lot. And through that time, we've just developed a really strong relationship and we asked him to be join our board and work with our other animators, the young animators, some animators who haven't worked in a major studio, other animators who have worked in it for major studios. Uh, but basically just to be there for all these animators so that they can spring off questions or get some tips or advice on their projects. And so uh, that is mainly what Chris Savino will be doing. He'll just be He'll just be there uh, to to encourage and support upcoming animators and stuff. Um, and really just the great thing about having Chris is just, uh, I mean, the guy, this guy is like, I feel like this, this is like the same kind of asset for your company as like hiring Elon Musk or something like this guy's done hundreds of millions of dollars in IP, uh, Powerpuff Girls, Dexter's Laboratory. He's managed expensive productions and, and whatnot. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's on our side. So it's a big deal. It is a big deal. Um, and how did it all start? How did Lore start? No, how? Did, yeah, sure. How did Lore start, and how did Chris get wind of it and decide to jump on board? I'm not sure how how Chris got wind of it. I, I I think he was he was looking for work, and and he came to us to ask. Sort of, uh, he had this show, idea for a show, and he talked to Jason Farley. Jason Farley would know more about the details of the first meeting, but I went and had lunch with him. Me and John Speed, our other founder, had lunch with him a few times. And uh, it's just been amazing. It's been an amazing gift to Lore, and we're excited to have him on board. Great. 
And uh, let's see, with HBO, Time Warner, and now Discovery merging into one entity called Max, smaller niche brands can rise into the light exactly like they did when cable TV took over America to split the audience away from the four antenna TV channels. Where does Lure.TV fit in? Uh, so we're like the MTV of conservative entertainment. So back in the 80s when it, when everything was moving away from four TV channels, uh, and moved to cable when you had all these niche brands like Food Network and Cartoon Network and Comedy Central. All these sort of brands started coming up, 80s, 90s, that that sort of thing. Um, and so basically what we're doing with Lore is we think it's a great time now for niche streaming networks to really sort of take advantage um, and and propel themselves to become a, a dominant brand in society, just like, just like with uh, the major streaming brands. And so... Uh, that's that's what I'm excited about. Lore is just basically we would just want to be the punk rock independent art house of Christian entertainment. So nice. the punk rock, I like that. Um, the strike, the uh, Screenwriters Guild strike, is what I understand all about streaming rights for writers. Is that slowing you down any? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, not at all. Um, but you know, we we look for people that want to work. Um, and, and, and that, that are capable of building everything out on their own. Um, uh, we, the pro the problem with the unions is they over, they, they over inflate the cost of production. Um, and they make it hard for if, like, if I'm a lighting guy on the set, I can't hold a camera when they need help. It's against the union rules for me to do other jobs. Um, and so when you have a small independent team, who's coming together and they're just, they just want to make a movie and uh, they're constrained with uh, the limitations that they have. They usually make better content and they work better as a team um, and you establish these more long-term relationships. So one of the things I am excited about with lore is just our not being reliant on unions and, and, and being able to reduce the cost of productions and allow every uh, individual on a set to be more free. Um, so that's, yeah, the, the, the unions are not helpful to the film industry as a whole. Yeah, very liberating to not have to worry about that. You know, Star Wars, Marvel, Disney, they're all giants now, but they started with much lower budgets and hardly any capital. Uh, you, I guess, fall under the Christian film industry and it's never really built their own unique, original, intellectual property. Bible stories are not unique individual properties, right? Uh, right. And the content they make is diluted to the point that even... They become a joke, unfortunately. Um, your storyline is harmless to everyone, thus making it impactful to no one. No, sorry, they are. Of all the people in the film industry, though, Christian movies are the lowest risk from plot point to content, you say. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, most of the Christian films that we we know of base themselves off of uh, free IP, right? So basically stories of the Bible, uh, that sort of thing. Probably not since VeggieTales have we had our own unique brandable IP that wasn't necessarily directly connected to Bible story characters, right? So Chosen, for example, is massive production, but it's it's not original in the sense that it's 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 just it's just retelling the story that already exists. So what what, what we're trying to do with Lords, we're trying to create original stories, movies. TV shows that aren't necessarily faith-based that actually fight the culture and and mock the left in the same way the left mocks us and makes fun of us. Um, we don't have 
a real venue for streaming media that fights back. That's why we call it. We don't call ourselves uh, faith-based entertainment. We call ourselves based faith entertainment. Based faith entertainment. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, and you can't really make uh, action figures like Star Wars did to help pay the bills with the Jesus and the Mary and the apostles and all that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Um, and speaking of that, you are quoted as saying a Muppet Christmas Carol was uh, your favorite movie of Christmas specials and perhaps one of the best Muppet movies in the post Jim Henson era. Uh, but more than that, it's perhaps one of the best Christian movies of all time. Tell us why you decided to tell everybody you love that one. Yeah. Well, I, I well, the Muppets are amazing because they allow you to, just retell a story however you want. Same way, it's in, this, in, this, in some ways, same way the VeggieTales did. They could retell these stories um, however they wanted, and, and they used comedy and stuff like that. And so the Muppets are incredible because, uh, especially the Muppet Christmas Carol, you, you have this pretty Christian story of Scrooge, and he's uh, being shown how he his life impacted the world and, and the culture and all these sort of things. Uh, but then, like, what's amazing about it is how they stuck to the book so well. Um, and then even to the point of uh, Kermit the Frog referencing Jesus Christ um, and going to church. Uh, so <laughs> you, don't, you don't get that uh, on any Disney movie anymore. Um, and, and in fact, if, there, if, they were, if they were to redo it, they would probably cut that scene out nowadays. Um, but, yeah, I think that was directed by Frank Oz, who was the voice of Yoda and all that. And... Uh, you know, both Frank Oz and uh, Steve Whitmire, I think, were the two originals. Well, well, Frank Oz was came up with Jim Henson, and then uh, I think Steve Whitmire came later, but trained under Jim. Um, and uh, they both got fired by Disney. <laughs> <laughs> like Frank Oz is like the voice of Yoda. Like he's you know Legend. all these amazing characters. Dark Crystal, and then. Yeah, and then, you know, uh, Carol Spinney, who was obviously the original Big Bird and Oscar the Grouch and stuff. Uh, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't have, he, he, he's retired, uh, or, or he might have died. I'm, I'm not sure. But so we're losing all this original Muppet generation. They're being replaced by Disney employees who just do whatever they want to do. And then I, I haven't seen the movie yet, but the new Muppet Mayhem movie that just came out about the band, uh, their main star is, uh, uh what's what is her name she's uh i don't remember i can't even think of her name because i i just i i can't stand her that much not lizzo is it (laughs) huh lizzo no it's uh she had her own late night show on nbc but she was a youtuber her youtube channel was called supergirl she had like 10 million subscribers then went to do a late night show on uh on NBC took over Carson Daly's spot. And she was just talking about every joke was how she's a lesbian and a, uh, you know, by person of color or something like that. And oh, it's just, gosh. it was, she was just not funny. And now she's in the new Muppet movie and it just <laughs> irritates me. So. Well, as we mentioned, star Wars, Marvel Dis- are all Disney properties as are now the Muppets. So obviously things change. So more Elmo, less Kermit, unfortunately, except at lure.tv. So tell us how you're going to use animation to uh, compete with those guys. Yeah, we're going to do a lot more than animation. So for the for the first thing I would say is the, the you have to understand how your your streaming service works. So whether you have Netflix or you have Disney, you pay them 15 bucks a month or whatever. And that $15 goes into uh, funding 
uh, half of that $15 probably goes in towards production, right? So you're paying for content to be on the platform. The other half of that $15 goes towards, you know, operations and profit and the business. Um, so the problem is that that percentage that goes towards productions, you don't have any say in, in where that money goes. You just hope they create a good show that's not woke, that doesn't uh, blast you with uh, a, a, count, a counter worldview or whatever. You hope that happens. And every now and then they'll release a show that's unique like that. But most of the time your money uh, goes towards funding woke movies and TV shows that you probably don't want your kids to see. Um, so what we're doing is we're allowing the monthly subscriber to actually spend their monthly subscription funding those movies and TV shows. So, so you actually, you actually get, hold on, my dog is barking. That's okay. But, uh, you'll actually, you'll actually get, uh, what we call in-game currency called loot. And every week you'll be able to spend those movie, you'll be able to spend that loot funding movies and TV shows. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Well, you know, we all love that Kevin McAllister scene in Home Alone where he goes to the church and meets the grandfather and that's the happily ever after at the end. So the fact that I think that was Touchstone, I think that was John Hughes, and I think that means that those oh, movies are... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Home Alone's one of the best Christian movies of all time, too. <laughs> how, so, how so? Well, I mean, yeah, you have this you have this basically Kevin McAllister, you know, dealing with selfishness and wanting his family to leave. There's a whole YouTube video on this, but right. basically what you see, and I'll, I'll just give like the the ten thousand foot view. But you see, he he uh, he's on his own. He has to learn to live on his own. He realizes that he shouldn't have ever wished for his family to go away. And then um, he goes to say, there's a scene where he goes to Santa. Uh, and Santa, like he just is exposed as a fraud for him. Right. And then, and then he goes into the church and when he goes in the church, he sees old man, the old man. Um, but in the scene where McAllister bought the toothpaste and toothbrush, the old man like puts his hand down on the glass and you see a hole, a da damaged hand right through the top mm. and the bottom. Mm. Right. And then he goes to church and he meets the old man still with a bandage in the church. Um, and, and it's never mentioned why he has a bandage on, on, his, on both hands. Uh, well, why he has that sort of, and it goes all the way through. And, and then you see immediately after he's at the church, he sits at the dining room table where he's praying and his family never prayed. If you remember that family never prayed and he sits in between two angels and he prays. Um, and then at that point he gets the strength from God to be able to like fight the bad guys and is reunited with his family after repentance. It's amazing. It's an amazing story. Ah, it's not knew? coincidental. I thought it was all about slapstick and uh, making <laughs> no, 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 no. two wet bandits <laughs> pay, but yeah. Okay, great. Well, well, yeah, that's a good story. A subtle like that, yeah. right? Like, so all our Christian movies just beat you over the head with an altar call message and it's all for feminine women, you know, it's just all this hallmark pure flick sort of thing. And that's what you and say uh, at Lure. You say, we don't want to make Christmas movies Christian. We, we don't want to make Christmas movies Christian again. We want to make every movie Christian. We believe the reason these Christmas classics are classics are not because they are about Christmas, but because they're about Christianity. Right. That's right. So every everything about Christmas is about Christianity. So that's what makes that's what makes it great. Except for Christmas. except for that Mel Gibson Santa Claus one where it's all about shooting up the bad guys and whatnot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. Don't see it. Uh, I think it's called Fat Man. Uh, lures risk is greatly reduced, meaning we can fail over and over and over again, pushing the boundaries of art, creating new ideas and IP breaking the mold. We can truly be an independent and experimental art house 
and taking on more creative risk without as much financial risk. Tell us about the business model of Lure. Yeah, so the way it works is the the filmmakers will actually pitch to the monthly subscribers so the monthly subscribers can fund movies and TV shows that they want to see. And then uh, uh, because of that, uh, we don't buy any content on debt. Every other streaming platform is buying, you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars in content. Um, and they're hoping that their audience likes it. For us, we don't actually premiere any content until the audience has bought it. And we, and, and so that's sort of the value of our streaming network is, is because by the time we know a production is going in, into, 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 into production, uh, we know that the audience already wants it um, because they've already voted with their dollars to get it made. Um, and so uh, that make that allows the artists when they're on set because the the audience has already paid for their production, they can take may they can take way more creative risk. They don't have to worry about like the studio coming in and saying, "Oh, you got to do this," and "Oh, we got to do that," and you got to change this and change that, and you know, put a diversity character, an LGBT character in it. At this point, and they don't have to do any of that. They can just make the movie that they want. Um, that the audience trusted them to make. And so uh, that's that's our, our benefit. And it allows artists to fail. They might take this money, make a movie, and the audience absolutely doesn't like it. And they'll know not to do that kind of movie again. Yeah, right? The freedom um, to fail is what makes artistic creativity either successful yeah. or not. Yeah. But it won't but you be don't have that without trying. Yeah, you don't have that on a $250 million Marvel movie. You don't have any freedom to fail. It has to be right, right? And a lot of product so, placement. Yeah, so that's why uh, we're, we're really going to focus on the independent market, which we don't have. We don't have an independent conservative market. Almost like a crowdsourcing of a movie project where the audience can actually be involved in the making of that film if they know the quality is going to be worth their time. Yeah, that's right. Everything is crowdsourced, right? So every, every that's how economics works. It's just a matter of when you start that crowdsourcing pro project. Most of the time, people do it after the product is made. We're doing it before. So, Marcus, the Oscar ratings dropped over 50% from 2020, uh, hit an all-time low. Nin 2019, 29.6 million viewers. 2020, 23.6 million, trending down. And then 2021, COVID, of course, but 9.85 million the steep ratings decline makes it clear that the American people are tired of Hollywood. Is that why you got into this? Yeah, I think so. I think most people are tired of watching. I mean, watch the Oscars. They're just <clears throat> woke. It's just woke anti-Christian pulpits, right? They get up there. They talk about global warming. They talk about diversity and all this sort of stuff. And nobody really watches the Oscars for that. They they watch the Oscars because there's movies they really like and appreciate and want to see succeed and, and win an award. Um, and so when you take that part about whether or not your the movie is truly succeeding away, uh, people just lose interest. And then you get rid of like the the hosts like you know Ricky Gervais or any sort of edgy host, and you put the absolute like I mean like this this year I think I think it was this year they had like three hosts they were absolutely terrible. And I think there was a year when uh, they had no hosts. There was a year when they did no host because they fired Kevin Hart because he made a gay joke. Right. Um, and so they fired him from doing it. So they, then they just decided not to have any host that year. Then they brought back 
I mean, what was like it? Was it Chris Rock got slapped at, at the Oscars? Was that the Oscars or was that something? Yeah, that one happened. Yeah, yep. Chris Rock got slapped in the face uh, by Will Smith, which was probably the best thing that's ever happened to the Oscars in terms of ratings. <laughs> uh, you know, everybody was tuning into the Oscars. You know, I, I didn't even know the Oscars were happening until I looked on Twitter and saw people talking about it, and we went and <laughs> went and cut it on. <laughs> So it's probably the best thing that happened to them, but uh, it shouldn't be. They shouldn't need that. They should just have really great stories that people want to root for, but they don't have that anymore either. So, well, that's a good segue to my next question. You know, there are movies that are driven by the actor or the actress. People want to see maybe a Brad Pitt film once upon a time or a Mel Gibson movie or a Laurence Olivier back in the day. How do you uh, get your talent that want to participate in movies that may be considered the B? segment of the of the market since prior christian movies uh have not been exactly the the blockbusters that passion of the christ has been yeah so in the independent film market you're not going to get a list talent maybe on camera right um so so you're going to be working with a lower budget so it's going to be harder to find better talent but that talent is out there and they're looking for an opportunity especially in the conservative world where they, they could be blacklisted from Hollywood. Right. So all that talent is out there. And so, so part of what we do is we go and uh, we, we actually try to find talent. That's, that's one of the things that I don't think any of the other conservative Christian streaming platforms are really doing. They're not trying to find talent. They're trying to buy talent. Right. So that's just a big money play. But when you find talent, you know, when, when me and Jason, who's our chief content officer travel, we go to comedy clubs, um, we, we try to find, uh, just talent that hasn't been given an opportunity or won't be given an opportunity. And that's really how you really build a cultural institution as opposed to just buying talent. Um, and, and we've seen this, like this, this happens in business over and over and over again, and it, it doesn't work. It, it only works in sports. Uh, but, but it doesn't work in terms of, uh, of keeping an audience, right? So like if I do, a big trade from one NFL team to another NFL team. The the, the trade isn't what's going to increase my audience size or my ticket sales. It's whether or not that team is good. Right. Right. Uh, the, 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 the trade helps make the team good for sure. It does. Uh, but if the, if, if you do the trade and then your team is still losing all the time, it's, it's going to hurt ticket sales. Um, so, so when we look at like, uh, video gaming for like Twitch streaming or whatever, you know, they, 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 uh, Microsoft brought paid a hundred million dollars for one talent to come to their streaming platform to build, uh, uh, to build their streaming platform up. And like it failed, it completely failed. Even though they spent a hundred million dollars on one guy, um, it, it just completely failed. Um, same is true with Joe Rogan and Spotify. Uh, nobody really, exclusively looks to Spotify for podcasts. So you, right, you, most podcasts are everywhere. Joe Rogan's one of the only instances where it's really a, a an exclusive co- podcast deal on Spotify. And that's, that's unique, but it hasn't lifted Spotify to new horizons. They're, they're probably just as memorable as they were before, but people just have to go to Spotify to listen to Joe Rogan, right? They're not being introduced to any new things on Spotify. Right. So, so, so like we, we see this, like this, this just spending a lot of money on talent doesn't necessarily build a platform. It just doesn't. Um, and so what does build a platform is 
a small punk rock army of people who just want to make the most amazing stuff and have the freedom to do so. And once you start taking that freedom away, uh, that's when you start to have to spend a hundred million dollars on talent acquisitions and stuff like that. You're absolutely right. I mean, Disney had a farm team with the Mickey Mouse Club for generations from Annette Funicello all the way to Britney Spears and Christina mm-hmm. Aguilera. That didn't work anymore because it became figured out. But then you have these TikTokers or these uh, viral video uh, talent that make millions and millions of dollars. They don't need the studio behind them. They don't need the Mickey Mouse behind them. So you're absolutely right that you can find talent. And most people do want to see young, even Disney tries to put young people into their blockbuster movies. And that usually fails because that's not what the people want to see. Uh, and you are giving them. So in the last fin- few minutes here, you say you're trying to change the culture. Uh, mm-hmm. We all love the the line, you know, from um, Andrew Breitbart that politics is downstream from culture. And of course, Hollywood is culture. How are you going to do that in anything that we can see upcoming? Uh, well, pol- politics is downstream of culture, right? So the left owns our culture. Um, you know, the CEO of HBO said... It doesn't matter how many people watch Game of Thrones. It matters how many people talk about Game of Thrones. I think like that's the key difference because you don't ever see like a like a pure flicks movie and just see a bunch of people talking about it the next day, right? Like it's very rare. Like you go watch it, you go support your church because your church is doing a meeting there or something like that. But you don't you don't really talk about you don't you're not like drawing. You know, uh, you're not doing fan drawings of characters in, in those sort of movies, right? You're not you're not wearing those characters on T-shirts, right? Like it just we have no cultural influence with our movies. We don't have action figures. We don't have uh, spinoffs and we don't have fans. We, we don't have any of that. And so what we're trying to do is just create content. Um, and we have that content lined up that I believe will be able to do this. But really just content that people will talk about and love. And start in, entering in, in, into uh, into culture. Like I want to be on an airplane one day and see people watching lore content, <laughs> right? I bet you like do. that. But but I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. Like you know, I, I like I don't I don't plan to be on a I don't sit on an airplane and see people watching like uh, uh, conservative movies or Christian movies. Like that just doesn't happen. Um, and so that's sort of our goal. Is like how do we get just everybody, whether they hate Christianity or not just liking our content. Cause it's good. Like that seems like a pretty simple problem. It'd be to nice fix. to be in the hotels too, as an alternative to the $30 uh, dirty movies, but uh, Mark, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our biggest competition is porn. So absolutely. You know, as everything long- is yes. <laughs> right. Well, thank you for your time. We appreciate you. Uh, we are at the end here. Please tell everyone where they can go to find out more about you and follow your social media. And of course, subscribe to lure.tv. Yeah, if you go to loor.tv, you can go there um, and 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 learn more about lore. And if you're looking to invest in actually good content, um, I'll also I was, one of the shows we're coming out is called Barely Biblical. Um, it's a it's a animated as an animated TV show where teddy bears reenact the most violent Old Testament Bible stories. We have another show coming out called Churchville, which is like The Office meets a sketch comedy show. Um, but it's about two competing pastors, uh, two competing megachurch pastors trying to get each other's uh, uh, members. Uh, really funny show. Um, it's a lot of really great content. Um, we we have movies and TV shows and documentaries that are all going to be able to be funded. We have 40 projects lined up in the queue. 
uh, to be able to present to audience and to, to our audience. And I'm excited to get everybody there. So uh, if, you, if you're looking to invest or you're looking to just be a member or subscriber, uh, just uh, go to LOR.TV. I'm excited to see that content. Thanks again for coming on with us. All right. Thank you. Welcome to my book of the day. But before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to the Mill Creek View podcast. Just go to Rumble or Spotify or iTunes or YouTube and hit the subscribe button and follow us. And thanks for doing it. Spencer Johnson, MD, is one of the world's most respected thinkers and beloved authors. Dr. Johnson earned a BA degree in psychology from the University of Southern California, an MD degree from the Royal College of Surgeons, and medical clerkship at the Mayo Clinic and Harvard Medical School. More than 46 million copies of Spencer Johnson's books are in print worldwide in more than 47 languages. In his Who Moved My Cheese?, Cheese is a metaphor for what you want in life, be it in good job, a loving relationship, money or possessions, health or spiritual peace of mind. And the maze is where you look for what you want, the organization you work in or the family or community where you live. The book shows how to anticipate change, adapt quickly, enjoy the change and be ready for more so that you suffer from less stress and enjoy more success in life. Give it a read. That's it for this episode. Really hoped you liked it. Thank you, Marcus. Pittman from Lure.tv. Until next time, this is your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcview.us. Peace in our time.